gonna find myself in times of trouble Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be Let it be, let it be let it be, let it be Whisper words of wisdom, let it be And when the broken-hearted people Living in the world agree There will be an answer, let it be But though they may be parted There is still a chance that they will see of God comes to us fresh every mm -hmm. morning mm -hmm. like the dew on the grass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Grace is life itself. Mm -hmm. Grace mm -hmm. is the ability to go on mm -hmm. against all of the deceptions and all of the illusions mm -hmm. and all of the heartbreak that came of lie and frustration. This is God's grace. Every day uh, we have a, an opportunity to start afresh and to move out towards the highest heights mm -hmm. of experience and of joy. Truly, 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 grace is an awesome thing, and we take it for granted, but it's there every day, as you point out. Every morning we get up and we're, we're, we're given the grace to, to start again. grace of God is that every morning you wake up and you've got to start fresh. system is running off of what is your perception. Remember he said he wanted a new word which was neuroception. Mm. What he thinks is neuroception is the nervous system attempting to assess the safety of the organism. 
But perception is always, according to the Course, it's always twisted. It's a broken communication with God that results in this distorted attempt to realize what is true, and it's just, it's never quite correct. It's not seeing. You're not seeing. And so, perceiving is not knowledge. And that was the break. When we left, when we went into separation, we detached from being able to connect with knowledge, and we went into perception, according to the Course, which now is this skewed and screwed up little attempt to assess the world. So in our perception of fear, we are sending the commands to the nervous system to respond appropriately to keep us in on an even keel. And we're saying we're paranoid, we're we're deeply fearful of so much, we feel very unsafe, and the nervous system says, okay, put the brakes on. Yeah. The, the, the physical apparatus is careening, out of control, put on the brakes, and just shut down. So, and stay <clears throat> shut down. I, I'm, I'm always reminded of the uh, Dune, the, the book Dune, uh, and the character in Dune who says, fear is the mind killer. And he, he keeps repeating this, fear is the mind killer, fear, fear is the mind killer. And this ties into this polyvagal theory so excellently. And in a, in a, in a way, this freight, when he says this, fear is a mind killer, he's, he's, he's saying a mantra to keep himself from slipping into shutdown. It's like a mantra for, for repentance. In other words, he's trying to change his mind, right? He's trying not, he's, fear is the mind killer, fear is the mind killer, fear, Put this together with you know what you've said from the course is that fear is the opposite of love. Okay, so when we find ourselves slipping into fear, we need to repent. And what is, how does that what does that look like? Maybe you say the mantra: "Fear is a mind killer." Just remind yourself not to go into it. Right? Don't fall into this this paranoia. Uh, so metanoia then is to continue on. Uh, and Jesus said, "Repent and believe the good news." Now, believe. Now we have to ask: Okay, what does this word mean? The English word believe, you know, we have has come to mean throughout time just an intellectual acknowledgement of some set of facts. I believe this, I believe that, you know. And but there's a deeper meaning here. I think if we were to go back to the original language and saying repent, you know, change your mind and believe the good news. Okay. Why is it important? Why is it to believe the good news? Because it's so good, it's unbelievable. At the same time, that type of believing means that we're abandoning our, we're letting go of our ambivalence. We're accepting knowledge from God Most High, which is certainty that this is true. We have confidence, and we have unshakable confidence. That's what is necessary here. To go forward into life is unshakable confidence. That is not what we ever have had when we were in paranoia, when we were feeling unsafe, and when our physical was really ruining our interrelationships, 
our ability to relate to people and our actions and our statements and our interpretations of other statements, uh, all because the body knew that it wasn't safe and the autonomic nervous system was shutting it down. We need to have in our mind a feeling of being safe. And that's the starting point for our awakening and our arising. Repent of your fear. Turn your mind away from fear. Well, look at that. A repent of fear. Now, where have you heard that before? This is key. This is a, has to be part of how we understand repentance. Yes. We have to understand that we have to have safety. We have to give each other safety. Mm-hmm. And we that's the platform that we build on. Mm-hmm. But when we accept what Jesus has done to call us to life, mm-hmm. to then we understand when we recognize what that call is, when we recognize what that life is, what the reality is that we're being offered and called to, in rec- in that recognition is going to result in certainty and confidence and gratitude. And it's going to give us that forward momentum to reach out and pick up our bed and walk and go toward full healing. Because all of a sudden life becomes renewed, participatory, bright, we become the light that we were meant to be. As we are enlightened, we are the mm. ones that actually are the light. Mm. Yes. And the, you Beautiful. know, this is the life of beauty. This is yes. the acceptance and recognition of beauty. Yes. And in that process, we too become beautiful. Yes. And we see beauty in, in others. Yeah. Yes. So it's it, it it's the it's reciprocal opening, and that's what I was yes. getting to before. So you know this um, when when you you know it, there's some value in trying to be virtuous. You know that's the level one good, and there's some value in trying to um, be curious about the world and and divide things and scientifically understand things and create technology. That's level two of structure of the skepticism and what is true. That's given us science. And technology, so there's some value in all of that. But ultimately, when you step back and you say, "Okay, I'm an eternal being of light. Uh, I'm created in the image of God." What real value is there in this paranoia world of this world of fear and of lack and loss? And when we, when you operate within that world according to those rules, what happens is you just you 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 operate within. And a mentality of, of separation. You're separating yourself from others. You're separating yourself from God. And the, the consequence of that is that there's no fulfillment. There's no happiness. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no meaning. You feel, you feel like something's missing. So you're in this having, doing mode. And, but it doesn't matter what you have or what things or stuff you can accumulate. You're still feeling this nagging sense of emptiness. And the, it doesn't matter what doing activities you get involved in. There's still something missing. And so it's this third step in stepping into beauty, grace, goodness, to repent of fear, to be able to... This is the mysticism that I'm talking about. And it's always been so hard for me to get my hands on, on, on words and descriptors that could then be communicating to others what is it that they're missing. What is this third step called 
mysticism? What is this third stage of spiritual awareness? What does it mean? And it wasn't until I, uh, I, I identified the good, the true, and the beautiful as corresponding to the structure, skepticism, mysticism, that I found the key. Because it's that beauty that is the linchpin of like understanding. Because you can be at any level of spiritual awareness. It doesn't matter. You could be in, ma in magic. You could be in mythical. You could be in um, in uh, the tribal kind of you know um, ethnocentric kind of mentality. Uh, those three stages of, of of historical development. But at any period in history, human beings have been able to look and see beauty, and immediately there's a connection to the divine, a grace that comes with that. They transcend their their own self, their own limitations, their own identity of separation from from the divine and from others. There's a they're catapulted into a higher state of awareness, at least temporarily. Well, it it can be more than temporary too, because it can enable, as we were saying yesterday, joy, the emotion of intense joy, paired with visualization, and this was, as we said, at the heteru level, then resulting in spiritual realization. And this is long term. This is ongoing. You know, I'm so disappointed that what we recorded yesterday got, de got deleted because I wanted you to go back into the African spirituality, but let's save that for another... Yeah, we'll have to save that. I, you just made reference to that, and it, it reminded me of how important that is. But for the benefit of the listener, I think we need to progress at one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So in our first uh, introductory podcast, we kind of jumped into the love is blue, you know, uh, question of romantic love and how that can how that uh, figures into the overall um, experience of life. And right, how, how do you possibly mm -hmm. go about living unconditional love, mm -hmm. especially in your relationships? Mm -hmm. It's a big I, question. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's one that is very um, uh, uh, important. We took, what, what was it, it was an over an hour, or yeah. what was it? Oh yeah, over an hour. Yeah, yeah. I think we've discussed it, we, we worked with it, and it was necessary to do. Yeah. But I... I, I hope that anybody that hears this will hear that because it is kind of a universal thing, I think. Well, that was a great um, uh, introduction, I think, getting the, the listener to, the, to, to be able to identify, is this a podcast that I care about listening to? You know, at that point, they can either find that there's something there for them or there isn't. And now, um, they're, the, what's being discussed is, you know, we're introducing them to the idea that you had a, a near-death experience. You did this crossover thing. You came back and found that you were able to to become a light worker in a sense, um, to be able to, you know, to receive light and direct light and all that. Um, and having this new perspective, what about? <clears throat> and this is very valuable because there are people who haven't had this crossover experience, and so they're not they're not able then to say that it's experiential knowledge, that it's something that you are able to say. Okay? And so for people... Well, it becomes part of your life. Yeah. The, 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 the memory of being on the other side, even though technically you're not alive in this world when you're on the other side, uh -huh. you bring back, you know, part of the memories of that. Uh -huh. I won't say the totality, because I 
felt at the time like my brain wouldn't hold it all. Right. You know, but you bring back what your brain can hold and what you can physically contain in, right. in the world. And that, Unfortunately, that is then seen, mm -hmm. you look back at it as a memory of life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, real life. Yeah. Real life. This life. Yeah. But also, all, you know that that was real life. But you more think, real. Well, yeah, it's more real, but it's part of your whole sum of experience. You can of, bring of that more real life. into this. And the reason why this physical world uh, is lacking in some way is not because it necessarily must lack something. It's because the there's a the, the, the experiential well, experiential I, lacking. I would I would say that yes, it must lack something because it believes in separation. It's founded on separation, and anything that is separated from its source uh -huh. is going to lack. It's it's going to be crippled by that. Uh -huh. That's. That's a basic understanding. That's a huge understanding. In fact, that alone is enough to make us then reasonably question how to repent. Uh -huh. And what should it be that we're repenting of? Uh -huh. We should be willing to repent of a belief in separation. I think that's exactly what Christ meant when he said, believe the good news, the kingdom of God is within your reach. What he's saying is, Believe the tremendously wonderful, accept and as a certainty, the, the fact that there is no separation. Right. N cannot be, never was, never will be. At least the whole attempt to build a world around a seed of perceived separation is erroneous. Right. Right. Now the problem I have, um, and I hesitate to say this because this is going to sound like heresy, but the problem I have is that if you really look at all of the statements that Jesus made, many times it seems to be he's operating in an ethnocentric mentality. So even though he has a spiritual uh, enlightenment, um, he's still operating at uh, like the, this um, ethnocentric kind of, which is just one step above the mythical, and which is one step above the magic. So it's so just. So can you can you flesh this out a little? What you mean by? Well, uh, can you give an example or or broaden your? Yeah. Well, for example, uh, the Samaritan woman. You know, he says to her. You know, uh, she says. He says, "Why? You know, why would you? Why would we give you crumbs from the table and and you're a dog kind of thing." And so maybe he's being tongue-in-cheek there, but um, there are different statements that are made and there, that seem to be that when, if, if, if what we're saying is true, that this is, that believe the, the, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near, uh, the good news, what is the good news? Well, the good news is that <clears throat> separation is illusion. And that the good news is you can ha you can be certain that there is no separation, and that nothing can separate you from the love of God. This is the good news, okay? And and, and this releases us from this substrate of paranoia. Yes, yes. And guilt. Yes. Which again takes us back to fear. Yes. We can we can lose our absolutely unbreakable connection to fear. Yes. Which is shutting us down yes. when it comes to unconditional love. Yeah, well, physically, affecting our physiology. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's no joke. Um, 
you know, this is scientifically true, um, verifiable. So, but the thing is, it seems to me that Jesus, the historical Jesus of Nazareth, was operating as a mystic with, with enlightened knowledge of the divine, communicating through him, but his, his, he was doing it, delivering it to his people, the Jews. That, like, well, he was in a time that, and place of physicality, and he, so there was a set yeah. point there. Yeah. And then whatever was written about what he said and did yeah. was showing us, it was from a cultural context. I, it absolutely was. Yeah. And, and so I don't know how much of it was the fact that he's in this point in time in history and how much of it was that there are two parts of the human uh, psyche in operation. You have the part that is growing up. That's the developmental structure. You know, you go from being a child to being an adult and you go through stages of, of human development. And so that's the growing up side. And then you have the spiritual, you know, waking up side where you go from you know, to levels of spiritual awareness and enlightenment. And these two things are not the same. People can be advanced in one and lower in the other. And so one criticism that's been leveled at Jesus of Nazareth is that he was highly enlightened, like a guru in India, but on the other scale of, of, of social, uh, cultural development, he was low and still operating at this cultural, you know, Jewish, we are the chosen people kind of operation. Well, the, oh, I think any of us are going to have to operate in the culture in which we find ourselves, at least for right now. Yeah. But I'm going to say my own thing that could bother people and seem to be heretical to some people, and that is when we are familiar with the Course in Miracles and we believe that Jesus gave that entire work, the gifts of God, the, uh, the workbook, the handbook, all of these aspects of the Course in Miracles, we see a Jesus who is very contemporary and not limited to any understanding of a single culture, but was really all times and all places, is. we A man for all seasons, if there ever was one. This is the Jesus who lives not confined, not as a relic, you know, from some distant past and uh -huh. some different distant shore, uh -huh. but very much where we are, uh -huh. amazingly aware uh -huh. of everything that we think that we're going through, and culturally, in, in our time. This, this is absolutely amazing when you first encounter the Course, the early part of the of the Course in Miracles was given specifically to uh, Helen Shuckford, who received the material, and it was a lot of it was personal for just between her and Jesus. And when you realize what I mean, it's like, holy cow! How do you know that, Jesus? How are you aware of these things? How are you conversant with these? from 1965. Holy cow. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it bends your uh, image of Jesus. Uh -huh. But then the further the Course goes on, you realize, okay, Jesus is not in the culture anymore. 
he is now standing above outside of it all outside of time in eternity sharing the knowledge of God most high so that's very fascinating because what you just said it could be considered uh, rejected as heresy and what I just said could be rejected as heresy but when you bring these two heresies together it kind of makes sense that they would both be true oh yeah Wow, yeah, that's a fascinating. Absolutely, that's a fascinating. True. That's a fascinating way of uh, of of. I've never thought about this in those terms because <clears throat> now <clears throat> the Course in Miracles, of course, twenty years later, there was the sequel. Uh, what's it called? The we we now this is hotly contested among some people who don't want to put it on the same level as the Course. Others feel that yes Jesus did give this is called a course of love yeah and it's directed toward the heart yeah toward wholeheartedness right and I think that it offers a great deal and so I do use it and I do use steps to knowledge now tell us about steps of knowledge I'm not that familiar with right. that it's, that's outside of the uh, coursework it's some, right yeah it's right. it's so someone else did that and it's not related in any way but I, but you find it to be of value I find it to be of incredible and intense value. Uh huh. Absolutely. Now, is there several books? There's like six or seven, or just what? Well, I, I'm I can't remember on that one. I have stayed working with steps to knowledge for years. I find it so deep and so. I'm not ready to go on there. There is a, a second book. I can't remember what it's called. Uh huh. But I'm not ready for it. Uh huh. I wish I were, but I am feeling compelled more and more to give myself to the work, to go on very aggressively and very uh, willingly, wholeheartedly, into the spiritual work that is available for me to do while I am still in the physical, in this incarnation. So that's, I may yet be able to get through this and go on to the next steps book but uh, for now I will be going back to get my doctorate in uh, essentially mysticism mm -hmm. <clears throat> get your doctorate in mysticism basically yes. yeah are you speaking metaphorically no or you're, no you're saying you want to go to school and get a doctorate in, in metaphysics this is true oh wow yeah, okay this is true very fascinating um yeah, but you know the the second book, uh, a course in, a course in love, um, a course of love, yeah. course of love. That that that's the one I I really like because <clears throat> I kind of see the first book as having been filtered through the left brain in some yes. ways. Yes. And um, so you know, but then I feel it's a, like it's definitely a rational appeal uh -huh. to the mind. Yeah. But it's doing so because it. Uh, that's where we start, at yeah. least. And we start with the idea of mind training. And we're saying that, you know, there's no way to bypass this. We're going to have to do it at some level. We're going to have to do mind training. We're going to have to involve some mental activity and mental understanding. And this is Sebek. In African spiritual science, this is, this is what we encounter before we get to the level of joy and uh, lightness and uh, 
what was the other word that I used to describe uh, the feeling of uh, what, what, never, never, the harmony, harmonize. Yes, yes. That's, that's actually a level below that. It's between, <clears throat> and below that is our security, our identity held by God Most High in the aspect of a set through eternity, treasuring us, loving us, holding us safe. Then the understanding of the mental activity Sebek. Right, which is our can be our access to the bridge, which, you know, Christ as the bridge. Mm -hmm. Understanding, you know, the from that point of view how what heaven is about, what we're being called to, what what that life can be. So and then beyond that is hetero the level where we we deal with the joy, the feeling of of uh, what did I just say? Harmonizing. So Sebig is like the opener of the way. Christ is the opener of the way. Absolutely. And, and so when you go through the door and then you step into that uh, peace, that harmony, yes. that uh, joy, and, right. and this is uh, in a ancient African spirituality that above Sebig, then that it would be um, you just said Hedaru. Hedaru. And this is where we have the visualization, the deep capacity for imagery. Visualization of specific imagery which is selected to represent where it is that we want to be. Like the dream or vision you had um, that you described earlier. Well, now... That I was given. I never drummed that up. I never. I simply asked for it, and I was astonished that that's what I was given. It was just boom. It was on my plate. So this the is the whole thing. And would you and, say that that's Hedaru's, the, the 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 part of God Most High that that does that? Well, I that was from Tehuti. Oh. That was from the knowledge of God, as I see it, from the Holy Spirit. I would put it at a much higher level there, where visualization involves searching your mind for the visuals, for what you want, and envisioning, mm -hmm. you know, being willing to see it, mm. being willing to have a, at least a, using a that your, level of putting it into experiential. Using your imagination. Yes. Yeah, using your God-given imagination. Which is mostly visual for mm -hmm. at least people of African descent anyway. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, this was always a big thing with African spirituality is visualization. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so, it. I mean, some people are more abstract and some people are more concrete. This is totally an abstraction, you know, as I see it. And so you're seeing figuratively, for instance, yourself as this aspect of God on the throne, carrying that particular staff, wearing that particular headgear, experiencing, you know, and expressing these godlike qualities, you know, and it manifesting into your daily life in certain ways. With these people around you or in this kind of a setting, you're visualizing all of this. And and you're doing it with the emotion of great joy. Because 
joy plus visualization equals spiritual realization. And so what you're this is African spirituality once again, and we haven't we're not doing that on this. So it's it's just a fragment of it, and it might not be enough for somebody to understand that's not familiar with it. But the what I'm saying is that you have to go through the whole. The mental is hit, is hit first. You are not going to be able to bypass the mental. The het haru will bring you more to the heart, to the emotion, to the uh, acceptance of harmonizing. You know, it's much closer to ma'ad and unconditional love and all of that up the tree. But the so the what, first stop has to be, we have got to deal with our mental faculties. The sad, well, we live in a Sebic-dominated culture, and, and history has been, uh, it seems to be the case. So what you're saying is that when someone is, if you wanted to recommend to them um, a course of love uh, and 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 the, it would probably be advisable for that person if they're deeply rooted in Western culture and and they're they're scientific minded and they're analytical and logical and left brain. Then it would be advisable to work through a course in miracles first because that's going to help. Well, to... I I wouldn't make that decision. I would I would let spirit. Mm -hmm. I, would, I would let them at spirit for guidance as far as you know, which way they should pursue. Yes, well, but there is a reason why the Course in Miracles, um, that there's two books and why they one came into the world before the other. And it seems to me because as you were, to use your African, Ameri African spirituality analogy is to say that one is being offered to the Sebic mind as a necessity for the, uh, receiving the second. It's possible. I mean, I'm aware now that that there's there is some hot controversy within chorus circles. There are some people that say, "Well, this is not bona fide, and don't route people onto this." I'm not going to weigh in on this. I personally use and like, you know, a course of love, so I'm not going to put them up against each other. But and I'm not uh, the the thing about the course is that it is not, it is indispensable. It presents itself in the beginning as a course that has to be taken at some point in your spiritual development. Huh. If not now, then later. Huh. But not able to get around it. Huh. You cannot do what you need to do without working through this material in some form or fashion. Uh -huh. If not as the Course in Miracles you're going to have to encounter this in some other way, somewhere else. Uh -huh. You know, laid out this way for the mind to be trained. You have got to have a trained mind to ascend as a human being because this is part of your faculties. Right. And all of the faculties have to be employed. Right. So steps of knowledge is a similar kind of thing. Then you have the uh, Buddhist mind training also. Well, steps to knowledge is a very actually a very different thing. It's it's put out by a person who started being aware of and concerned about, shall we say, space aliens. Ah. And Steps to Knowledge posits 
that we have teachers and helpers who our our interbeingness is an intergalactic mm. almost interuniversal type of a beingness even in the physical that we that there's all kinds of more the universes are teeming with life mm -hmm. yeah ascended masters and that absolutely sort of yeah so there's a there's a uh, these are our helpers and teachers they are present with us they mm -hmm. are present in all over the galaxies mm -hmm. but there's danger there too because there's a uh, there's conf there's modal confusion even on the other side with these people you know there's there's uh, people who've crossed over and maybe they're in communication with people who are still on this side and they're engaged in some deceitful uh, stuff going on. And so, and even when you leave the body and you cross over to the other side, you're, gonna, you're still going to have um, some competing ideas and different, like people who, who want to go wander off into the bushes and experience some, you know, stuff and that isn't really edifying. And... Um, just for their own, I don't know, uh, out-of-body pleasure, I suppose, or curiosity. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. Well, it's not... Okay, that is a much, at a much lower vibration. We can really refer to the vibration here and talk about a higher vibration spiritually. And the people, the ones who are at a lower vibration, are not threatening you or endangering your path or your ascension, if you are at a higher level, a higher vibration. They're, they're where you are if you yourself are also at a lower vibration, then you've got to think of that. You've got to be aware of, okay, maybe they're messing with me. Maybe I would be afraid that they're going to mess with me, or I am going to encounter them as I try to do astral travels in this type of thing. Well, you probably will probably will encounter them they probably will mess with you look at this look at that look at this look at that yeah um so yeah there's there's cul-de-sacs even on the other side that people can get into well not at the highest levels if you call it them depends people. what do you want do you want what i always refer to the uh, the other side is the highest which is the light i'm assuming when a person talks about the other side that they're talking about the light that's true there are nethermost regions of the other side, yeah. uh, the, of the what's called the astral and all of this, and I don't, I don't. You have a primary aim. Absolutely, your yeah. aim is Christ. Yes, right. Yeah, the ascended master that. Came so you know, for me to live is Christ, and that has always been yeah. true, and it always will yeah. be true. Well, earlier you had said he lives. Explain that. Well, oh, he lives, and guess who he is? He is us. You know, and we are him. There's How a, can this even be? Because that is our higher self, is Christ consciousness. Yes, yes, yes. So there's a song. My parents go to the uh, Church of God of Anderson, Indiana, and there was a... Doug Oldman was uh, one of the singers who sang with the, the Bill Gaither trio, um, I'm sure they told you about him, made reference to him. I don't know if you've ever heard his music, but he, uh, I think it was Doug Oldham, or maybe it was, um, you know, Patty, Sandy Patty's father. Um, what's what's his name? Um, anyway, he's, I don't recall his name. Um, but he sang this song called He Lives, and it's just an absolutely 
beautiful piece of music. And he says, you ask me why I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And that's, and you know, I mean, when I, <clears throat> you can hear the words and you can interpret it in one of two ways. You can interpret it as this is beliefism or you can interpret it as this is the ultimate spiritual reality. And the experiential truth for, yeah. for, for a person who's, yes. who's so, going through this. When I title the book Beyond Belief, I'm saying that, that a lot of the things that we've been presented by religious doctrine and dogma as believe this, believe that, are really shadows, to use the word shadow in a different way, these are really shadows of the ultimate truth as experiential. So you can believe in a propositional idea that being, that's being presented by your religion, the dogma, the doctrine, but uh, is this sufficient for your salvation? No, it's not. Is it transformative? Well, you might you might claim that it is at some level, at the, at the level of structure. But really, when I step back and look at it, I say that believing in propositional knowledge or propositional truth is not transformative. And, well, why is it, you know, believing in something does not necessarily make it true. You can believe whatever you want to believe. And, and, and many people will exactly do that. Their defense mechanisms will determine what they want to believe to have the world that they want to see. This is not seeing, and this is not truth, necessarily. <clears throat> so, no. so the Course keeps on saying, do not seek outside of yourself. Do not seek for truth. Do not seek, you know, uh, the abundance of life outside yourself. That means don't go out there in the world thinking that you're looking for it, you're... <clears throat> <laughs> you're a seeker, you're uh, listening to this one and that one, oh, do you know the truth? Oh, show me the truth, set it out for me, give me a, uh, give it to me in a nice tidy package, and I'll just consume it and own it. <laughs> it's within. You must go within. Yeah. Because this is the work that you alone yeah. can do for yourself. Yeah. And you could have you well, could let's say be Jesus careful. Is as a savior, but you have got to do the work of opening your heart and mind and soul to life in order to experience salvation. Well, let's let's be careful about doing the work here because there is doing the work at level one. There is doing the work at level two. But when we get to this stage of beauty and being, um, doing the work is is more about. Uh, removing the impediments to enlightenment than it is doing any actual work. So you're not laboring. You're not. You're not. It's not an effort. It's really just a relinquishment and a letting go and an emptiness, a receptivity. A, uh, so the opener of the way is Christ, not you. And right. so by stepping through that door into that beauty, into that harmony, then you're able to receive it and to. That's when you're. Well, that's when you do the work. There can be there can be a little period. It doesn't have to be long at all, but there will be a period of intense involvement, 
okay, we could call that, I call it myself, mm -hmm. the spiritual work. But well, even when, even after I've, I go beyond into the beauty. Mm -hmm. I refer to sending light as mm -hmm. my spiritual work. Right now, I'm I'm not saying that I'm I working. You. I get I'm you. resting, but I I refer yes. to my activity. Right, right. It's like work. it's like calling meditation doing the work. Right. If you if you say that, um, and and so it, it in some ways it's doing the work of denying the ego. That's the only work there is really. The work of recognizing it's the It's not the ego doing the work. Right. It's you doing the work of relinquishing the ego. Yeah. So that's the whole, it's like a reversal. So it doesn't have to be a form, formidable thing ahead where you're working, but it, there will be a period of intense involvement and engagement yeah. of opening yeah. and receiving. And this is what I, I distinguish between genuine faith and just mere intellectual belief or assent to knowledge, you know, with within the the mind of you know believing something, a set of facts, being dogmatic, being certain that that your doctrine is correct. This is very different than having a participatory knowledge, having genuine faith that engages the world, that makes the world a better place, that brings light. You know, um, these things are are very different. Well, I think, I think, always through the New Testament, we're always reminded that it has to be participatory and it has to be experiential. Yeah, faith without works is dead. Right. Yeah. So, and this is the thing. I mean, there's been an effort to try to push that off the table by Martin Luther and others, saying that you are justified by faith and faith alone. And but what does that mean? You know, because it it gets translated into the ego as being, oh, I just need to ex uh, to accept a, some propositions of of dogma, and then I'm going to go to heaven when I die. If I could just believe that Jesus was the Son of God, born of a virgin, died on a cross, if I just accept. Well, let me say this now that you raise it: we're all going to go to heaven when we die, because there's really nowhere else to go. But uh, we're not necessarily going to be comfortable there and so we're not necessarily going to stay there and if we don't stay there where are we going to be and that uh, my answer to that is if we cannot be copacetic with heaven enough to stay there enough to be prepared to dwell with the lord then where what are we going to dwell in and with and what is it going to seem to us as and my answer is hell Right, a so hell of our own choosing, a hell of our own making. How so? Because we didn't elect to do in this moment what we could have done to align ourselves with the truth of heaven, right, and the truth of our own beingness, right. So when we are faced full head on, now we have our beingness before us, mm -hmm. given to us. Mm. We can't embrace it because we are afraid. Paranoia. Uh, that's that's it. That's it. Hysterical, probably. Hysterical paranoia. Yeah. And so we'd rather run off and play with the aliens in, in some cul-de-sac in the astral plane. Or worse, yeah, worse truly, yet. Truly. Worse yet, return to the earth plane and go yeah. through the suffering all over again. And wherever you're going to be, it's yeah. going to still be working with this concept of separation <laughs> and distance yeah. from light and love. Yeah. And that's hell. Yeah. 
So we could say that hell doesn't exist in the sense that, you know, the idea that God created for uh, the angels and the demons to go to hell, that's taught in the Bible, and some people literally believe this, but I think that... We the, are not the fallen angels, and no. we are not the demons. Right, well, thank you. So that clarifies that question. But another way to look at it is to say that you're either on an inbound journey towards heaven, or you're on an outbound journey away from heaven, and this outbound journey away from heaven involves a, a diminishing returns, a, a reciprocal narrowing, and you and you really are creating hell for yourself by your choices. Oh, it's very clear. Yeah. If you can but see it. Yeah. And it should be very clear to those who are experiencing it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I would think that somebody listening to this is very much resonating with that and saying, yes, this describes what's been going on in my life. I've been creating hell for myself, and I want to turn it around. How do I... Repent. What is the metanoia? What is the what is the thing I need to you know claim that's going to and, and cling to that's going to turn things around for me? And uh, if we were to present that as one idea, it would be uh, that separation is illusion. Would that be the the key um, insight, the, cre the the thing to really f focus on and say, okay, I, the, the the world of illusion. Is predicated on the idea of separation, and, well, and I it know produces people, paranoia. I know people who are in hell, and they will say they are. They will absolutely agree with my assessment of hell, and they, knowing, you know that it's that the world is illusion, as they do. It doesn't change the fact they still cannot escape the uh, habit energy of essentially losing their mind and going into high drama and just freaking out uh, when it seems to them that they're not safe or there are issues around their safety that come up because these have been such touchstone things in the past and they've been through so much trauma around it. The neurotic, yeah. Neurotic. Neurotic trauma, which yeah. which then Paranoid. leads to this, to the polyneural shutdown, right. polyvagal shutdown, and these things are so real. Right. So you have got to grab onto life before you once again find yourself shutting down. Yes. Physiologically. Yes. Being pulled back into depression right. states. Right. And every kind of doubt, and every that... kind of feeling of pain and loss, and self. Uh, Flagellation and self-pity. And addiction. And addiction. And yeah. depression. These will pull you down. Yeah, yeah. So if you are to have a chance to reach out for life and respond to the call to, you know, of being recalled to life, you have to do it before you sink for the third time. So you're being recalled to life, and your duty, your responsibility, is to change the narrative in your mind, the thing that you've been, that's somebody done me wrong song that you keep playing, you know, the should, they should do this, they should do that, Rev change the language you use to an ought to, well, I ought to do this, I ought to meditate, I ought to, you know, uh, engage in my spiritual practice, I ought to receive the light, I ought to sit and be the light. I Not ought only to. ought to, but I, I'm empowered to. Yeah. I am actually God. Yeah. Most High, the Divine, empowers me to and places yeah. this within my reach and yeah. my capacity. Yeah. Now, that's faith. Yeah. As opposed well, to belief. Right. Belief is catering to the paranoia and 
the uh, faith is what we're calling metanoia. Well, that's true, but you have to realize you've come from a habit energy of ambivalence, of being having a tendency to doubt everything and want to sit on the fence. This is this kind of faith is not one where you can sit on the fence and doubt. You must go courageously, mm, right. go boldly before the throne of yes. grace. Absolutely with confidence. Right. This is what's in the Bible, what it's and this is absolutely the truth. Yeah. You must be confident. Right. In the goodness of God, in the goodness of life, and your own essential goodness. That God made you in its image. You are an extension of the Most High. Mm -hmm. You remain as God created you. You have not become a fallen angel or a demon, which is now fit only for pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. You are still esteemed by the Most High as the child that He loves. And you must remember and know this. And this must be your cue to run to, to him and run to life. Yeah, with right. With all the strength that you've got. All the strength and the courage and confidence. Um, and, to, and, and, and not just to run to God, but to run into, the, into the, your uh, engagement with the world, involvement in the world, doing things in the world to make the world a better place, but doing it with the confidence, doing it with the courage. And this is what you were created to do good works. You know, this is what it means to be obedient, right? As, as you find your way, as you are recalled to life, and as you come out of that declining into a restoration, then gradually you find your your sea legs. Mm -hmm. How to live in this... You grapple with these topics. How do I live in the world then? Once I've found love, how am I to live? What do I do? Right. And you grapple with this, and you go through a period of time of, of solving these and finding ways. <clears throat> and you realize, I am the light of the world. How does this play out? How can I facilitate and be facilitated as the light of the world? Mm -hmm. You know, and yesterday when we were talking, we uh, I made reference to the Matthew 28 where Jesus' last words were, you know, to his disciples were, go, uh, he said, go make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, what does this mean? Teach them to obey everything. Does that include all the Jewish tr uh, laws of purity? And does that include the Ten Commandments? And does, or does he literally mean what I've t teach them to obey what I've taught you? And what was that? What was that new teaching? The new, the new commandment I give you is to love others as yourself. Mm -hmm. And what was the other part? Well, it started by saying, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, right. with all your right. mind, with all right. your strength. And I point out that this mind, heart, strength is think, feel, do. Okay? So, so Jesus is saying, think, feel, do. Alright? In, in harmony with the divine. With, with, and, and then he says, and then the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, and that's, that's what we're doing in forgiveness. We're moving through forgiveness out of a world of fear and attack and ultimately a world where 
attack always came back on us because we were part of all that is. So whenever we thought we were attacking and hurting somebody else, we were always hurting ourselves. We we leave out of that through forgiveness and go into a place of loving God, loving ourselves, and loving all in creation. Hurt people hurt people. And they hurt themselves as well, without even realizing yeah. that they're going to. Yeah. And we see this, like in the people that you and I have talked about, that we, we're trying to bring healing and light to them, but they're not receiving it because they're you know, hurt people hurt people, and then they want to attack us, and it's like this whole thing, dynamic, just keeps going, and you realize that at some point, being in close proximity to these people is not helping them. In fact, it may be uh, giving them, reacting in more hurt ways, and so, like, you have so to... So then comes this desire to, you have, you have the desire to help them, but you can't engage with them with, because of where they are at the moment, so then there's the desire for equanimity to, from a, almost a Buddhist perspective to treat with all who are experiencing this, all who are suffering in this way, mm. that they may find relief of their pain. Mm. How do you do that? I mean, it's like sending light to the world? Is that Absolutely. The, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we know from polyvagal theory that when you're in close proximity to somebody, um, if you're full of tension and anger and rage, then they're going to see it in your face, they're going to pick up, a, they're going to feel it in their gut, and you're going to, that's going to be, you're going to create shutdown in that other person like they're like you're experiencing, so it becomes like uh, a negative influence that affects others around you. Conversely, if a person has joy and happiness and a smiling face and they're happy and they feel safe, then that gets communicated. You know, to the to the people in close proximity, and if they feel and, safe, then they can have healthy mm -hmm. interactions mm -hmm. with their significant others and their loved ones in the in their relationships, yeah. where they wouldn't have been able to otherwise. And as we were so saying, their relationships don't go sour and don't become painful and don't become more trauma. You know, this is important, and if they can move into the beautiful, if they can move into harmonizing. And feeling that everything is fine, everything is lovely and beautiful. I mean, not through rose-colored glasses, but seriously. Mm -hmm. Really beginning to enjoy life again. Right, so if it is true that biologically we are interconnected, and we see this with the polyvagal theory, that in close proximity the heart radiates like 15 feet. And people can pick up on that energy, okay? It's not psychic energy, it's heart energy. Yeah, yeah okay? this is the aura. Yeah, and so that's a real thing that's been documented. Now the question is, if if can you do it at a distance? And when we look at quantum um, science and quantum physics, we realize that there's such a thing as non-locality. And then in this um, uh, physical world, it's it, it's somewhat uh, representative or or uh, reminiscent of a of a hologram in the way things are. You know, non-local. There's like this. It's like uh, it's like a projection of this reality is like a projection from a central point, and so this each each piece contains the whole. Yes, and so if if you can operate at that central point, then you can radiate light to the whole. And, why not? And if you believe that you can, and why not? You accept. Okay, why not? Then you you realize. Okay, I have to do this. I can do it. 
There's no reason why not to do it. I don't suffer any loss from doing it. Let me commit myself to doing this. Right, yes. And, I mean, um, other enlightened beings throughout time have done this. I mean, Jesus, Buddha, others. Uh, um, there are more enlightened beings across the galaxies and the universes than we have any idea of. And we are all together. We are all in sharing and in, in joining through our sharing and joining with God Most High. All of creation, together with God Most High, are in one unity through deliberate joining. And when that joining occurs, when that sharing occurs, the Gospel has taught us about this, Course in Miracles has talked on and on about this, and when I crossed over I was shown this in tremendous, unforgettable detail, which just when you see it, it's the most incredibly beautiful thing. Talk about beautiful. This life is truly beautiful, especially as it is in heaven. It's truly beautiful. And when you have this sharing and this interbeing, and you know that it is the reality about what and who you are and what and who all creation is, that you share this with the magnificence of God Most High at an very implicit personal level. This is called atonement, isn't it? At one minute? Well, at one minute, the atonement from a course perspective is uh, actually just... the the willingness to accept you know, forgiveness as the pathway out of separation and accept mm. joining, sharing, joining, interbeing. That's really the atonement. Mm -hmm. Okay. So atonement is what triggers the, the person who's in the reciprocal narrowing into reciprocal opening. There has to be a atonement. Would that be correct? Is that the turning point? Well, there, there, there's no salvation without atonement. And there's no salvation really without forgiveness. With being willing to forgive yourself and God and all others. And being willing to step through that fire ring out into departing in peace. There's no going forward mm -hmm. without that. And... How do we know this? We have a Savior, and this is where the Savior went. Okay, we uh -huh. have to follow the Savior. Uh -huh. okay. Well, it says that he went to the depths of hell. I mean, yeah. I, we have to interpret this as symbolic, but but the, how do we apply that? It's like you talked about the ring of fire and stepping through it. So there, there has to be a willingness to, uh, if you're in paranoia, you're running from the fire, but it's going to catch you and it's going to consume you. So the, you have to have the presence of mind to say, okay, if I want to be saved from the fire, I'm going to have to face it. I'm going to have to run through it so that I can get to the other side. That's what meta means. Mm. Metanoia. Mm. You have to go through it. Wow. Yeah. You can't go around it. You can't go away from yes. it. Yes. Yes. So then that process coming out the other side, you ex what the term you can use to describe that is atonement. But atonement happens when you cross through the fire. It didn't happen on the other side of it. 
It happens once you cross through it. Then you experience the atonement. So, But at your job, your responsibility is to change your narrative from should be to ought to. And the difference is, should be is, uh, there shouldn't be a fire. This should not be happening. But it is. So then you have to change your your verbiage, your storytelling, your narrative, and say, well, I ought to run through the fire and get to the other side. And then when you do that, boom, atonement is your experience of that at one minute. And experientially, you are you are understanding salvation now from the inside out, mm-hmm. which is an amazing thing. You no longer postulate, well, is salvation eternal, and does it happen if I do this, and if it doesn't happen if I don't do that. You are inside of salvation, living inside of salvation. Yes, and so one way to communicate that to the audience would be to say, to describe this as present moment awareness. You have this present well, moment it's awareness. Actually, living with salvation is the presence, and it's living in the moment, but it's much, much more than that. It's an experiential awareness of God, Grace. of your real self, of that of all others, and it's absolutely the highest expressions of grace the highest understandings of the goodness of God. Uh-huh. And that brings the highest joy. And the highest appreciation of beauty. All of it. And that's that's what it is to live inside salvation. Uh-huh. And to know I don't have to suffer, though the world is suffering. It doesn't need to cause me to suffer because I have... There's freedom of choice. I can't fix people. I can't take away their freedom of choice. They all have to step through the fire the way I did to actually face their fears and go beyond fear into into joy. It takes being able to realize the problem, realize how you've been straightjacketed, realize how You've been deceived by the world and your hope drained off of you till you're almost in paralysis and call upon God for that remaining strength to leap out of this world into salvation, into atonement. Oh, it's no easy thing to walk through the fire. I mean, that takes courage. And uh, it's it's like you're really... um, risking your life you feel like you're giving up you know your life you feel like you're i mean that's i think what repentance is but what you find afterward in the african perspective is you are the king you oh. assumed the throne oh, sovereignty yeah absolutely yeah. by courageous means you yes. had the courage yes. you had the foresight to be able to make the necessary decision and move. You acted faithfully. Uh, well, and acted, you had the courage to act no matter what it took. Yeah. Even though you hadn't been in that space before and you were opening up a frontier. Uh-huh. 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 You, are, you never do it alone because you realize that the concept of separation and alienation and it's a lie. You have you your whole your whole concept now of your place in the universe has to be one 
of being joined with the power, the truth, uh -huh. the light, the life, the uh -huh. way, so that you can say, I am uh -huh. the truth, uh -huh. the life, and the way, uh -huh. just am, as yeah. Jesus did. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right. Yes. That, ha that has to be your experiential awareness. Right. But it's all available. You don't have to be shutting down and in drama and running in hysteria like a man on fire in the hallway trying to escape and trying to find something or someone that you can believe that is safe when you really are rejecting the idea of safety and preference to a narrative of self-pity and, and total annihilation and hell. Like, when will my hell end? Well, it could end when you decide that it can end. You just have to be willing to depart in peace. Lay it on the altar. The resentment. That's, that's what happens when you depart in peace. Mm -hmm. you, lay, you lay the flowers of forgiveness, lay it down. Mm -hmm. Lay your burden down and depart in mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. Why in peace? Because now in laying down your burdens, you have removed the blocks to love. Yes. Now you can experience the peace of God. I think of this as like the communion service in the Christian church. You you the uh, you have this participatory uh, um, um, ordinance that the church participates in. Sometimes they do foot washing as a, a prelude to the to the communion service. Not everyone does that. The Church of God does that. The Seventh Day Adventists do that. But I I don't think anyone else that I'm aware of does that. But you know there were. There were the uh, two ordinances there, there, the foot washing um, and the communion service. And, of course, um, they both happened the same night. It is recorded in the New Testament. You know, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then he had the, the Last Supper. And, um, but, so the, the foot washing, uh, of course, is interesting because, you know, the, that was the role of a servant. And Jesus is king taking on the role of the servant. You know, he's showing that... If, if you're not willing to serve, then you're not qualified to lead, is the message here to his apostles. And, you know, of course, uh, P Peter objected, and Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then I, you have no part with me. And uh, his response to that was, well, then don't wash just my feet, but wash my whole body, Lord. You know, and he says, but your whole body isn't dirty. It's just your feet that need to be cleaned. Okay, so I mean, there's so much richness in that story. So much that can be extracted from that in terms of symbolic meaning, and you know. But then, from that, then we have the Lord's Supper. But strangely, this whole foot washing thing is often ignored, and I think it's very important to understand that if you're going to truly understand the communion service. So then you have the communion, the taking of the bread and the wine and what have you. My body was broken for you, and this and that. But when we come together as a uh, uh, ecclesia, the called out, joining together in community or assembly to be able to have this um, participatory, you know, event where there's a communion service. It, it's it's an acting out of this bringing the lilies to the altar and laying them down because you're walking away in peace. Okay, now um, it and it's deeply rever it's a deeply reverential thing. It's saying that. You know, from a traditional, conventional Christian point of view, you're saying that Jesus did for you what you could never do your, for yourself. He paid the price by going to the cross and dying for your sins and being the blood sacrifice and all the rest of it. So that's the symbolism that's at work here. But 
uh, on top of that, um, at another level of awareness, as you've pointed out, what we're looking at is depart in peace. I know. So what it is, is you can, you can look at this from the perspective of someone who's a Christian in the structure, and they see it as the blood and the body, right? In literal terms, the the Catholic Church, they literally believe that this is, becomes the blood and the body. I mean, abs as absurd as that is, that that's what the Eucharist well, teaches. I'm not going to say it's absurd, because I, I certainly respect certain aspects of Catholicism myself. But I, so I'm not opposing the, the, I'm not opposing anything. I'm saying that there's, a, there's, a, there's two ways of looking at this, and that is from the perspective of someone who's in structure and someone who's in a right. mystical view. Right, right, yeah. right. But I think that we have to emphasize, too, that we have never known peace. When we have lived in separation as the light motive of our world, we have never, for one minute, fully experienced the peace of God. And we have been okay with that. We have compromised it away and said it's all right not to have peace. To have drama and to have pain and to have self-pity and self-blame and blame of others and attack of everything and everybody. That's okay. But having peace, it's not necessary, is it? After all, we get by without it. <laughs> oh, my word. The thing is, if we could but know the peace of God that passes understanding for a minute, if we could be in the presence of God for a minute and, and feel the majestic healing and wholeness, and incredible well-being, we would sit there and just cry in our ash pit at the fact that we were willing to compromise it all away. Huh. Peace. Yeah. There's a great quote by a, a woman, I can't remember her name, I think she was a Holocaust survivor, but she said that, you know, the duty of man is to reclaim greater and greater measures of peace. Well, now why would that be a duty? A number one, God has given that as our life. That's our identity, really, and we don't even know it now. That's who and what we are. That's our inheritance. For eternity, it's available. Why do we want littleness in place of it? So our duty could be to ourselves is to be who we are. But at the same time, we're in a world that is in tremendous uh, distress all around. And we ourselves have experienced it. Everybody that goes through here experiences it in some measure. Well, she experienced being in a concentration camp. Okay? Yeah. So she, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much as far away from peace as you're going to get. But yet... There, like to the Corey Tim Boom story, there's still even and then there's um, other other people that could come to mind that had that had this uh, experience of being an, uh, uh, a concentration camp Holocaust survivor and coming out of that with this uh, idea that it's about reclaiming peace is you know that that this is what you know and well the, the other is, aspect of this is when we reclaim peace for ourselves. Uh -huh. We are also reclaiming it for others as well. Yeah, right, yes. And so it becomes a duty. If we can do it, yes. why not do it? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's a duty to love your neighbor, isn't it? And that is. 
loving ourselves is yes. loving our neighbor. Yes, well, reclaiming peace is loving your neighbor. That's right. Yeah, moving toward God, toward an, toward joining. That's an act of love, not only to ourselves and to God, but to our neighbor. Yeah, yeah. So by by allowing the light to transform us, we in turn shine the light in such a way that it transforms the world. It does. We we talk in in the in the world from a, a point of view of physicality and separation uh, that we think it is that how we're going to make the world a better place. But what we're really going to do is bring light and hope and life. You know, and go Thinking. to heaven hand in hand. We're going to leave a, a desert of dry bones hand in hand with our taking our brother with us onto the green lawns of heaven. This is what's happening truly. There is no other way. We are joined. Everything is one. Everything is joined. We do not do this alone. And the fact that we do not do anything alone means that what we do for ourselves, we give, we receive, and then we give the gift to all others. So ultimately, the community of mysticism is the whole human family. As well as God, the Creator, the Father. And, if you wish, all Mother Mary. Well, we could throw in all sentient beings in that if you yes. want to. Yes, yeah. yeah. Even those aliens we haven't met yet. Let's oh. just throw them all in there. All of sentient beings and the Father. All the divine, it's, it's all, if we could just call it the divine self. Let's just call it that. It's so, so this, um, you know, and thinking is not going to get us there. Thinking is diametrically opposed to this. Well, there, thinking has a role; it has a place, and we've got to, we've got to employ it along with all the other godlike faculties that we have within uh, our beingness. Uh, uh -huh. And this is what I went through the African spirituality we're gonna have, yesterday. Right, we're going to have to pick that up in our next podcast because you just touched on it. If people are listening and they these heard like little bits and pieces of what this African uh, spirituality is, re referencing uh, Sebek as being like. The, the thinking part and realizing that that has a role to play but it's just one aspect of the divine in this it's one of many divine yeah. faculties okay. that we have in our beingness yes and we need them all to work in concert right let's let's go into that next time we do a podcast just to, to draw this into it uh we've been kind of all over the map it seems to me and this thing's gone really long it's we're looking at it two and a half hours maybe you might have to break this i would two or three podcasts. yes very possibly do that so but as an overall uh theme what do you think you know is the message here if we were to give this podcast a label you know maybe part one of something well part i'm one. going to say i still think what i thought yesterday when we didn't get it finished mm -hmm. was that i think the theme is let it be let it be the theme is let it be the first the first one we did the theme was for me, I thought the theme was love is blue. Yes. And now for this one, I still think the theme, even as we did it today, I still think, you know, that it's let it be. Because laying the flowers of forgiveness, which is to say as if flowers of repentance, same thing, 
To me, I think that I can say repentance is moving into forgiveness and departing in peace. You know, you've, you've arrived at, a, at the understanding of how and why, and you've developed the intention to move through fear into life and freedom. So, to me, that's repentance. Believing the good news that there is no separation, right? And that because that's how I define repentance, and that's how I define obedience. Because yeah. you're being recalled to life, God is always. There's never a minute. The course says, when God is not calling you to do this. Mm-hmm. So it is obedience. It is repentance for me. I don't have to revert to previous understandings or descriptions or analyses, I would make it very immediate and invite everybody right now just to jump. Let it it be. Yeah. Yeah, step into the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Of the divine self, where we are at one and there is an atonement um, of all sentient beings in the divine creation. There's an inner being of, of, in tremendous oneness, in tremendous accord, in tremendous uh, harmonic unity. uh, Harmony, absolutely harmony. Yeah, harmonious. And in in ancient Egypt, that was nefer. Say nefer, nefer. Everything is fine. Everything feels fine. Everything is all right. Your heart is light as a feather. Well, that is, that produces. Yeah. That that's where you are when you have when your heart is feather light. Everything is all right. That should be your guiding light, you know, to be light, have a heart as light as a feather. And this brings me to the polyvagal theory again, because you know, when your heart is light as a feather, it's because you're in a safe place. You feel safe, right? There's no perception. You know, we are not idea. going to ever be able to not realize that again after the initial studies that we've had of polyvagal theory. Uh-huh. It's been so compelling. Uh-huh. You really realize safety is the key. Yeah. Yep. We have a responsibility to find safety ourselves and to help other people feel safe and secure as well. Yeah. Well, because... That safety is where, the, uh, without it, there is. Where, how are you going to experience peace, joy, and you know, the rest you of it? You can't go yeah, on. You're in. You're in trouble. You're held back into the quicksand that's going to pull you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking of calling the podcast the Silver Strand because of yes, the, the, well, every part, the whole program. Yeah, because the Silver Strand being a ref, uh, the uh, the name that's given to the the vagus nerve. Well, no, it never has been the name of the vagus nerve before, but we might now call it that. Okay. I thought Mom was saying that she heard that in, from something, so I'll have to ask The vagus her. nerve? Yeah. I thought I've she never heard. heard that. I don't know if she was saying that or not, but the in, in all previous times where there was a concept of people, some people see all kinds of different things. I mean, I, I experienced that myself, so... When I first came back, I could see auras. When I first, uh, and even up until recently, as I've said, I had a visitation, I could see, you know, these beings, uh, you know, 
So that we're there, and and I have the healing that they promised to prove that it all had happened. I mean, it wasn't any. At different times in life, different peoples are able to see different levels of things. There isn't just the five senses, I'm sorry to say. No matter how you want to be an empiricist, you're just limiting your understanding by that. You know, so the the thing here is that you have to uh, realize that this is all available to you here and now, and there's much more out there than you know, and it's far better than you know. Just because a belief in separation has not yielded, you know, a life of happiness, but often instead has resulted in a life of futility, does not mean that God is not good, and that heaven is not waiting for you to realize how to move into bliss and assist all others in getting there. Uh-huh. So, and in the day where they would more openly talk than, than present about seeing people actually leave their physical body and return into the spirit world, they talked about a silver cord, Mm. which they believed was in fact what was holding the soul to the physical body. Mm -hmm. That when the soul was actually, when when the physical body died, then the silver cord would snap and the soul would ascend out the crown. Soul would. And this goes clear back to ancient Egypt when that aspect of, that soul aspect of your beingness was referred to as the Ka, and it was depicted as an owl that would just fly away. Excuse me, the Ka? Ka. Mm-hmm. You know, in Star Trek there was an episode where uh, Mr. Spock uh, transferred his cotch into Dr. McCoy, and that was his, his basically his, his psyche, his memories, mm-hmm. himself, his... And then when his body died, there was a, they brought it back, and then they transferred the cotch back into him. So this is kind of like probably where they got the idea. Yeah, they probably were pulling, yeah. you know, little... Yeah. So the ka and the silver cord, so that's the connection there. It's interesting. And isn't there some idea of like a silver cord connecting from heaven to the body, to, through the crown? I just don't know how yeah. far it goes. I, I just... I, I, it may be, but I just, I am not that thoroughly well versed on the silver cord, but I know that it always has been referenced. I, th- I think in mom was saying soul. something about, uh, there was a book in the Old Testament, I, Ezekiel is, talks about a silver cord, and, 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 I, and she related it to the vagus nerve in some mm-hmm. way. She was somehow made that Would connection. It would be interesting to do a search. Yeah. You know, and the Bible looking for reference to silver cord. It I would be. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, enough. I think we've uh, reached a stopping point, and um, I'm just going to conclude here. Wow. I don't know. Let it go is, is the title, the theme, you say? Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. The Beatles' song, Let oh, It Be. Let it be. What does that say? 
What is the message of the song Let It Be? Well, it it to me, the word that comes to mind is relinquishment. Well, to me, the word that comes to mind is peace. Mm -hmm. Let me move into peace. Mm -hmm. Allow peace just to come. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, if you don't relinquish, there is no peace that's going to come. So, no. so the, the relinquishment is the is the is the another term for let it be or let it go or you know relinquish. And yet, relinquish can seem to be a negative word, like oh, I don't want to lose something. So, actually, the process of relinquishment is a process of rebirth, of finding a new life and seeing a new world, mm -hmm. finding a way of being that is triumphant, mm -hmm. that is victorious. We're going to call that relinquishing. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of like death. Sounds kind of like repentance. It sounds like obedience. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these words, we have to be aware that in our day and age, they refer back to something that, you know, was not intended that way, but now they're loaded. Yeah. They have a negative charge. Yeah. When we hear those things, we turn off and shut down. We don't want to hear them. Mm -hmm. We need to hear them, not on the negative side, but we have to realize they, even though those words seem negative to us now, they were, when they were used in a way where they didn't have that social context, they were trying to reference how they could, opening up to a life that was constantly broadening, deepening, widening, mm -hmm. gaining. Yeah, and the Buddhist word would be emptiness. And that has a very negative connotation for the Westerners. But it's the same idea. It sounds almost like a zombie, like being a zombie or a vampire or something. I'm just empty. I'm like a walking dead. You know, I mean... We don't, we don't want to let that be. No. But that's what has been, and that's what is, apparently. I mean, you look, you look out and you see that society is just so many zombies. So, we, in being empty... What are we empty of? Then you have to go into Buddhist concepts to understand what what we're empty of. Uh, we're empty, I mean, and that's a whole other podcast if you want to do it that cannot be delved into now. We're too far along already. But the the, the thought here is that this you, there are words associated this with this that can have a negative connotation, but they need not. If they do for you, then drop them. Right. And find a way of housing that expectation of being recalled to life yep. and having a bright life ahead of you. This I have lived through myself, having crossed over and come back, and finding a whole other life coming to me after I came back. My life, I, I just rejoined life in progress, but it was a different life. Mm. It has been a completely different life than what the life I had before. So I know it happens. I know it's out there. I know it's possible. Do not compromise this away and allow yourself to be pulled ever further into misery, believing that it must be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Don't become angry when I say that it needn't be. But become hopeful against all odds in choosing life. 
and let it be. Let life come to you. Let joy come to you. Let beauty surround mm. you. Yes. Let the love of God soothe you and revitalize you and reshape you and all others through you. Uh -huh. And on that note, I would close and say, let it be, so it is. Amen. So let it be.